In his first letter, the apostle Peter warned us about Satan. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul warned us about Satan. In verse 3 of the song that we just commended to one another, we are warned about Satan, about the fact that he is warring to pull us all down, wages of death to pay. And so we are uh, against and fighting against a formidable enemy who has various tools at his disposal. I'm reminded of a short invitation talk that our brother John Grimmett gave a number of months ago in which he talked about the different tools that Satan has in his workshop. And there are certain tools that he uses quite often and then there are certain tools that he doesn't use as often as others. And when you think about what Satan does in trying to get us to do wrong, he tries to distract us. He tries to depress us. He tries to discourage us. And we cannot be men and women who get overly discouraged. But how do we go about doing that? That's the question today. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 1. Well, we're just going to read two verses at the outset of our study together today. Joshua chapter 1. And we're thankful to those who are present in the parking lot, to those that are watching from home, and to those that are gathered together in this auditorium today for the purpose of worshiping our God. We have a number of people who are visiting with us, which makes up for the number of people who are traveling on this kind of busy holiday weekend as we mark the unofficial end to summer and as we transition into beautiful autumn here in this part of the country. And we're glad to have you here. We appreciate those who are visiting. We appreciate those we haven't seen in quite some time and being able to be rejoined together. You know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be great because it's going to be the greatest family reunion of all time where we will see people that we haven't seen and that we've missed, including individuals that we've missed because they've passed on from this life. And we are praying hard for individuals who are suffering. And we invite you to uh, join with us together today as we study. And also to join us together tonight as we uh, come together to worship our God. For those of you that normally attend Sunday evening services, of course, we look forward to seeing you back. But for those that maybe uh, don't attend Sunday evening services... Uh, especially invite you together tonight because the elders have set aside uh, tonight as an opportunity for us to engage in a lot of prayer and a lot of singing and a lot of reading. And that's going to be important because we have lots of things to rejoice about and we have lots of things to be concerned about. But let us not be discouraged. And I would submit to you that our God doesn't want us to be discouraged or to be distracted or to be depressed. You know, those three D's kind of form one of the greatest tools or a series of tools that Satan has at his disposal. But I would argue that the Bible is abundantly clear with the idea that God wants us to stay strong and to never, ever give up. 
We could spend all of our time just looking at passages and looking at people and looking at stories of men and women who did not give up. But I want to go to Joshua chapter 1, and I put up there verse 9, and someone recently said, and I forget who it was, but someone recently pointed out that you really shouldn't read verse 9 without reading verse 8. And you know, there are a lot of verses in the Bible that you only read the one verse because they're powerful, uh, punching verses that really get to the core of what we're to get at. And when you add a verse before it, it really umps it some. And I believe that Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and verse 9 is one of those occasions. And it says in verse 8 of the text, he says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success." Given the fact that you've studied God's word and that you are relying on God's word, have I not commanded you, Joshua asks, be strong and of good courage, or or God speaks to Joshua on this occasion, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, God is speaking and Joshua is following, Joshua is speaking and the people are following, do not be discouraged. The Lord is with you wherever you go. And that is something that is true thousands of years ago. That is something that is true for us today. I want to look at four passages total at the outset of our study. Two in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. But if you would look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 13. Kind of put up there this notion, the idea of do not get discouraged. The Lord is with you wherever you go. We'll then drop down into the 22nd chapter of 1 Chronicles, verse 13. And I want us to read in verse 13. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And you understand because of where you are reading in the book of 1 Chronicles that this is David who had wanted to build the temple. But of course it was Solomon his son who would fulfill that dream of David's because David was a man of war and Solomon was a greater man of peace. And the fact of the matter is in verse 13 David says, he says we need to be reminded of the fact that decades ago Hundreds of years ago, God said, don't get discouraged, don't give up, don't be depressed, don't be distracted. Well, let's look at two passages in the New Testament just to lay the groundwork for proving that God does not want us to give up. In John chapter 16, in the chapter that precedes the prayer of Jesus where he prays for himself, he prays for disciples everywhere, he prays for his apostles... In chapter 16, in verse 32, indeed the hour is coming. This is John 16, verse 32. And indeed the hour has come that you'll be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And then Jesus says in the tail end of chapter 16, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, guess what? You're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus here is saying two things. He's saying, number one, you're going to have difficult days as a result of living in the world. But two, don't be dismayed. I've overcome the world and you can overcome the world with me.
And then in 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, where in verse 58, the Apostle Paul, who told us about Satan in his letter to the church at Ephesus that we referenced, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And on and on and on we could go with passages that prove that God does not want us to be discouraged. And God not only shares his desire that we remain strong, but he provides us with tools. Just as Satan has tools at his disposal to distract us, to depress us, and to discourage us, the fact is, as God says, I want you to have the tools to fight back and to be able to win. And there are lots of things that are discouraging. In fact, we're going to pray about a number of those things together tonight. We've already prayed about a number of the things that discourage us right now. And there are things that are going on in your lives, things that are going on in our lives as a community, as a country, as a world, as a church, as a family that are certainly discouraging. And so God provides us with tools to not get discouraged or at least not overly discouraged. Let me share with you four tools this morning. Number one, we've got to keep the right perspective. Perspective is everything. Perspective is everything to those of us who are men and women of faith who understand that this world is not our home and that we are just a passing through. When we realize that, it helps. It doesn't make all the troubles go away, but it helps immensely to know that this world is not my home. This is not where I'm planting my roots. You know, I may have financial difficulties, as we'll talk about in a few moments. I may have physical pains. I may have spiritual woes. I may have mental difficulties or emotional strain. But the fact is, is this life is not about this life. And that's what separates us from people in the world. You know, Paul talks about that if in this world or in this life we have the only hope, we are of all men the most miserable or pitiable. And I love that particular passage as he writes because it reminds me of the fact that this world is not home. Turn over, if you would, to just a couple of pages from where we were a moment or so ago to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want us to use this text to lay the groundwork for this first observation that we're making here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And I want us to read through verse 16. You know, in my Bible, as in many of your Bibles, there are subheadings and breaks. And there's a break between verse 15 and 16. And I, I think that's unfortunate because the thought continues well into verse 16. But read with me in verse 7 where he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We, those of us who are like Paul and those of us who are serving Jesus like Paul, we are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we do not despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke... 
we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up uh, raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread throughout the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You know, the Bible is filled with truth, but that's truth. The outward man is perishing. The people that we care about, their lives are perishing and are decaying. Our own lives, in looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses roughly 8 through 10... We see that the end of our lives come closer and closer and closer. This world is not our home. And Paul says, given that, we do not lose heart. You know, there are so many different catchy phrases that I've heard over my years together. But I'm reminded of a Christian who no longer is with us in this life who was well into his late 70s or early 80s. And I would ask Nick, I'd say, Nick, how are you doing? And he would say to me, he says, well, I'm too blessed to be depressed. Now, I like that. I do say that we need to be cautious with this because you don't want to be the kind of person that when you're dealing with someone who's really struggling, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm too blessed to be distressed or to be depressed or to be discouraged. So we've got to use some caution with that when we're dealing with someone who's having their own challenges or whatever. But you understand the point that Nick was making. And the point that he's making is, is I've got a lot of physical pains. And I've got a lot of different issues in my life. And there are people that I care about that are lost. But I'm blessed. And God has blessed me. Someone once said, it's not a matter of us being lucky as Christians. It's a matter of us being fortunate because we're blessed by God. And that changes everything. That God has blessed us as richly as he has. Keeping the right perspective helps in so many different ways. And I shared a couple of those with you. But let me just revisit those. Number one, it helps when it deals with physical pain. In Revelation chapter 21, which we read on a Wednesday night just a couple of weeks ago. Revelation 21 and verse 4. It does not say that in heaven there will be less crying and less pain. And less death. That's not what Revelation 21 teaches, right? Revelation 21 teaches me and teaches you that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That's going to be phenomenal. When we get to go to heaven, it will not only be a family reunion as we referenced that pales to every other uh, reunion you may ever otherwise have. It's going to be a place void of pain, void of terror, void of sorrow, void of tears. And there are people who are here this morning that are hurting as you sit because you have chronic pain. And I've got to admit, I'm fortunate that I guess maybe I'm young enough or I've been blessed with good health overall that I don't don't have a lot of pain. Some of you are saying, just wait. (laughs) Give it 20 years, Leland. But there are some of you who are sitting here who are in pain as we speak. There are some who are in the parking lot that are in pain and are trying to take precaution for their health. And some who are homebound because they cannot get out because their pain is so severe. 
those things will be completely eradicated and wiped away in heaven. Now, that's not the only reason we're wanting to go to heaven. Don't get me wrong. We want to go to heaven because that's where God is. We want to go to heaven because we want to be with his fellow children. We want to be uh, in, in a place where he dwells. But a bonus to being in heaven is I don't have to deal with arthritis. I don't have to deal with stomach pain. I don't have to deal with migraines. I don't have to deal with pains from accidents that I've had in the past that have plagued me for the last 15, 20, 25 years. Heaven is going to be wonderful because we keep the right perspective that that's our eternal home. Number two, keeping the right perspective helps with money worries. We need to be like Job. In Job chapter 1 and verse 21, I'm reminded of the text there. We're at the introduction to the story of Job. The Bible tells us very plainly, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked will I return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Someone once said, you don't see a luggage rack on top of a hearse. You don't see a U-Haul going behind the hearse, taking all the belongings to the cemetery. Because that's not the way it works. We enter this world with nothing, and we leave this world with nothing. And yes, you might uh, amass wealth in this life. And leave it to your children or your grandchildren, to your spouse or to friends. But you leave with nothing. I came into this world with absolutely nothing, Job says. And he says, I'm going to leave this world with nothing. But leaving the world with nothing with hope is everything compared to leaving this world with nothing without hope. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, in a text that you're likely familiar with, Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's trying to implore these people to understand what really matters. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Life is not about money. Now, you may say, but that doesn't take away my stresses of having to provide for myself and my family. And that's true. You have to be concerned about providing for yourself and your family. But when you put on the lenses with which God provides us and have a different perspective, well, at least I don't have to worry about money in heaven or making a living or being stressed about bills. That will not happen in heaven. And thirdly, it helps us defeat Satan when we have the right perspective. We read from 1 Peter chapter 2 just a few moments ago, but I want to return there and look at one passage here very quickly in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 and verse 11. He says, Beloved, I am begging you as, and the next two words are important, sojourners in the New King James Version and pilgrims. We are sojourners here. We do not live here forever. We live here for a hundred years, give or take a few. And pilgrims, we are here for a short period of time. He says, I'm begging you, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Let me suggest number two, that when we think about what it takes in order to not get discouraged, we keep the right perspective. And number two, we do not forget what the mission is. You know, I find it very discouraging that when you ask people in the world, I don't think you get these answers from people in the church or people of faith generally, but when you ask people in the world, 
What is your mission as a human being? What are your wishes as a human being? What are your wishes for your family? What are your wishes for yourself? They give all these answers. For example, my mission is to raise a good family. And there's nothing wrong with raising a good family. And there's principles in the New Testament for the Bible throughout about raising good families and being the right kinds of husbands and wives and raising children to honor their mother and father and to honor the Lord most of all. But raising a good family should not be the number one mission of your life. To make an impact on my professional friends or my professional field. You know, there are some really smart people in this congregation who have a lot of training, who have a doctorate, and that's wonderful. And so you might want to make a change in the medical field to cure cancer or to make some sort of an impact in your community to cure homelessness. And you would love to have that professional impact on the world. And that's my mission. That's what I live for, someone might say. That's not the mission. Or thirdly, someone might say, my job is to make people happy. And I I think there's something to be said for wanting to make others happy, to make their lives blessed, and to make them better, and to show graciousness to them. But these things are not what we are about. Our mission... And when we can say our mission is accomplished is really to do what the Lord has asked us to do. And our mission can be summed up with the words of the wise man Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Many of you have memorized that particular passage. And I think it's a good one to memorize where he says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. I don't ever read that verse without thinking about one of my best friends who uh, I just actually got to spend some time with just a few days ago. I was in Indiana celebrating my parents' 55th wedding anniversary, and there were friends from his coworkers and cousins came out of the woodwork from Kentucky and showed up. There were people coming from Texas. It was just an all-out event to celebrate family time together. And one of my friends came. And he is a colonel, in the, a retired colonel in the United States Army. And I asked him to come speak to my students. I taught for a number of years. I taught high school. So I had 17 and 18 year olds who, who, are, who are always, uh, always mature, always ask the right questions, and are never disrespectful. And so I had him come speak about foreign affairs and diplomacy and issues related to national defense. And he says, anybody have any questions? Now, keep in mind, this is a small town in Indiana where you can get away with things that you can't get away with in big towns. And some kid raised his hand, one of my students, and he said, yes, Colonel, I have a question for you. He said, go ahead. He said, what is the meaning of life? You know, he thought he was going to be really smart like that. And my friend Todd just said, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. What's the next question? (laughs) I thought it was great. I lost my job, but I thought it was great. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) You can get away with that in small towns where you can interject a little bit of Bible into it and no one really cares. But the fact is, is that's the whole of man. 
That's the mission. Fear God. Keep his commandments. What else is there to do? That's our mission. And when we realize what our mission is and we don't forget what our mission is, then we can keep ourselves focused and not be distracted, not be depressed, and not be discouraged. Do not forget the mission. We have a ministry that includes service to others as well as worship and obedience to God. And what is it in that statement that I just put up there has anything to do with what benefits me? Absolutely nothing. Now, I've said this now. This is the third time I've said this in the last couple of months. It's been on my mind a lot for a couple of different reasons uh, that I will not share. But we do not come to worship services so that we can leave and say, wow, I sure got a lot out of that. We come to worship services so that we can give and so that we can worship our God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 1, we read from 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4 just a moment or so ago. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what our ministry is about. And let me go even further to suggest that we have a model missionary that we can look to in order to not get discouraged. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, the Hebrew writer talks about the mission that you and I are to be involved in. And it says, therefore, in Hebrews chapter 12, after the long list of men and women of faith that you and I can look up to and try to emulate, he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so Moses and Elijah, the two men that we talked about in Matthew 17 this morning, And Abel and Noah and Abraham and Enoch, they are surrounding us. And with that being said, verse 1, we can lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And I'm arguing is the greatest mission keeper of them all. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, unless you would otherwise become weary. And the New King James Version says, discouraged in your souls. I love this passage because it says, look at Jesus so that you do not get discouraged. It's imperative that we get to know Jesus In order for this to work. And so we need to remember what our mission is. Our mission is to preach the word. To live for God. And to put others first. It's really the joy principle. J-O-Y. Jesus comes first. Others come second. Put yourself last. And when you do that, you not only fulfill the teachings of, for example, Philippians 2 verses 2 through 4... You fulfill the royal law where you love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to be people who keep the right perspective, never forget the mission, and then we pray. And when you're done praying, pray some more, and then pray some more after that. We're going to spend a lot of time tonight praying, Lord willing. And if there's ever a person, I would think, and I think you would agree with me, that deserved to be discouraged, 
His name was Jesus. I mean, here was an individual who only lived for some 30-some years, but he had so many things going against him, wherein people were trying to distract him, depress him, and discourage him. But he says, I've got advice. I've got advice for you. And we find that as outlined in Luke chapter 18, and I want to very quickly read uh, those verses before we draw our, our study to a close. But Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, beginning. This is a passage that I was thinking about in light of what we're going to be doing tonight and certainly in what we're talking about this morning. He says, He spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain judge who did not fear God nor regard man. There was a widow in that city. She came to him and said, get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because the widow troubles me, I will avenge or vindicate her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? There is so much packed into those eight verses. But the big thing that we can get out of that is, among other things, that God wants to listen to your prayers. He is not the opposite. In many ways, it is a compare and contrast story that Jesus is presenting. There is never a time where you go to God in prayer and he says, you again? Never will that happen. Never will it happen that you knock on God's door and he says, hold up, I'm busy with, with other people right now. How is he able to listen to millions of people at the same time? Ready? I have no idea. But he's able to. That's how God is. He's that omniscient, omnipresent. He is that powerful of a God in that he cares about us. And Jesus not only gave advice about the importance of prayer, he followed it. Where we have in our study on Sunday mornings with Brother Brian talked about repeatedly him going to private places so that he could rest and pray, so that he could pray and rest so that he could speak to his God. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. So keep the right perspective. Don't forget the mission. Make sure that you are a prayerful person. And number four, keep busy doing good. You know, we are very busy people. And I think that 100 years from now, people will be busier than they are today. Because we just keep getting busier and busier and busier with all the things that are going on in life. We have our families to take care of. We have our cars to take care of, our homes to take care of. We have jobs to do. We have various social activities that we are involved in. And we have the church, which should not be the afterthought. Which brings us to this point. Given the fact that we are as busy as we are, we run the risk of forgetting what our real purpose is. So let me share with you these two questions with obvious answers to it. Number one, am I a full-time employee and a part-time Christian, or am I a full-time Christian and a part-time employee? Because whether you answer yes or no to those questions will determine where your priorities lie. 
And this is not just a sermon for those who are sitting. It is a sermon for those that stand. The point being that we have to all keep busy doing good and realize what our ultimate purpose, nay, our ultimate mission really is. Not only is being busy doing God's work commanded, it is therapeutic. It actually helps us. How many times have you ever gone to visit someone who is sick, especially in in pre-COVID days when you were able to do that, maybe a little bit easier than you are now, but you've gone to visit someone in a nursing home. You've gone to a singing in a nursing home. You've gone to some event to help someone and you walk away and you say, man, I feel better than I've ever felt before. You went to encourage the person who was bedridden and you walked out knowing how fortunate you are to be able to be able to walk in the first place and say, I feel better than I ever felt before. One of the first funerals I ever did when I was 19, 20 years old was for a lady by the name of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was bedridden for most of the last few years of her life. And I remember going to her bed one day. She said, I heard that you gave Vola, who was my first funeral at the age of 19, I heard you gave her a nice send-off. She said, will you give me a good send-off as well? (laughs) I said, I'll be happy to. And I did. Well, I don't know if it's a good send-off, but I gave her a send-off. When we get there, we can ask what she thinks about that. But the fact is, is we would go visit her in the nursing home, different ones of us. And she would say, thank you so much for coming and seeing us. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for valuing us or whatever the case may be. And we would walk away and say, man, I feel good about what I've done. Not in a prideful way, don't get me wrong, but in a sense that when we do what God asks us to do, it actually makes us stronger and keeps us focused where it needs to be. I want to look at one final passage in the book of Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, about this thing of being busy in doing good. In verse 5, drop back to verse 5, where he's talking about bearing burdens. He says, each one shall bear his own load or bear his own burden. And he says, let him who is taught the word, verse 6, share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For what he sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of his Spirit reap everlasting life. Verses 9 and 10 are critical for the health of any congregation of the Lord's people. If any congregation isn't mastering or at the very least working on verses 9 and 10, it is a congregation that in my humble opinion is dying or dead. He says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me suggest to you that we could spend a lot of time just on those couple of verses. But let me conclude by saying, number one, where I choose to focus my time matters. And I think I'm speaking to a group of people who understand this better than most because you show this on a routine basis. But we have a relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ that is paramount to our relationship to those in the world. Doesn't mean that we don't care about people in the world. 
doesn't mean that we can't help them as individuals. And it certainly doesn't mean that we aren't concerned about them spiritually. But because we are brethren, because we are fellow saints, we have a special relationship one to another. And we ought never to take that for granted that we are, as the song says, part of the family that's on its way home. The other thing that I think is important to note is where he says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, is that God knows what you prioritize and God knows what I prioritize. He knows whether or not the church is more important than my job. He knows whether or not my brother is more important than a stranger. He knows these things and he will hold those things in account for us on the day of judgment as we talked about last Sunday morning. And thirdly, we need to take advantage of opportunities to do good. And let me go even further to say, because I've been guilty of this, and I know others have as well, or at least the potential, of trying to avoid opportunities. So when you hear there's a list to sign up, to give someone a ride, to take someone to the doctor, to provide someone a meal, to clean the building, to prepare the Lord's Supper, pre-COVID days, right? Remember we used to do that? We'll get back there, hopefully. (laughs) There's all kinds of things that we can do to serve others. And rather than saying, well, I hope someone else will do that so that I don't have to do that, let's be the individuals. It reminds me of the older ladies. Now, there's no older ladies present today. Mature ladies. But it reminds me, when I was little, anybody over the... I I remember when I was probably... 10 telling my dad that he's no spring chicken. He reminds me of that to this day. He probably should have punished me for that. But I remember when I was 10, 11 years old, anybody over the age of 50 was ancient, right? Now anybody over the age of 50 is my age, pretty much. It's funny how that changes through time. But when I was little growing up in a relatively large congregation of the Lord's people, Whenever there'd be a meal sign-up list for a visiting preacher for the gospel meeting, you know, you'd sign up to take him out to dinner or to have him over to your home for fried chicken or whatever the case may be. There would be this uh, uh, almost a stampede to the back of the building. And all these uh, 80-year-old women were taking off their heels and hitting each other in the head trying to get to the list to sign up first because we wanted to take the preacher home. And I see that here in this congregation, and this is a congregation that needs to be committed, not for the fighting, that doesn't happen, but for the enthusiasm to be able to serve, whether it be in that fashion or whether it be to quietly take care of the needs of those who are sick. And there are so many individuals that we are concerned about and that are constantly getting attention from members. Just learned today of one member who was secretly taking care of another member financially in some small way, doing it kind of behind the scenes because it was help that needed to be served. And that's wonderful. But let us not grow weary in doing good and never try to avoid those opportunities. The best advice that I can give you is the advice that was given by a visiting preacher Back when I was young, some 35 years ago, when he said, wear yourself out doing good. Because if you're not careful, you can wear yourself out doing wrong. And I can do the same. Wear yourself out doing good. 
and doing good for others and doing good for the church and giving of your time, of your talent, of your treasure even. Wear yourself out in doing good for others because that will help you to not be discouraged because you see then that it's all about serving others and not serving myself. I hope that if you're here this morning and you are discouraged, that you'll be a little bit less discouraged. Maybe we haven't cured every problem this morning, but I hope you're a little bit less discouraged because the Bible has been read, because songs have been communicated to one another, because we have prayed together, because we've studied from God's word together. That's certainly my hope, is that you will be less discouraged going forward. But it's possible that you're discouraged spiritually, and that's the greatest discouragement all. That's more important than your finances, your health, or your education combined, is your spiritual welfare. And if you're discouraged spiritually and you say, I'd like to study the Bible, we can help you with that. I'd like to have some brethren pray for me. We can help you with that. I'd like to become a Christian. We can help you with that. Any spiritual need that you have, we can help you. Not because we are special or equipped in some special way, but because we have God's word that provides us the means with which to answer every spiritual concern that there is. And so if you are not a child of God, you've never been baptized, we hope that this morning you'll say, you know what, it's time for me to make that commitment to God by being baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And you'll leave this place, I guarantee you, you will leave this place more encouraged than you are discouraged. And while we're at it, you would encourage the rest of us an awful lot as well. If you're here and a child of God and you're not living correctly and you'd like for us to pray with you as we talked about a moment or so ago, we'd love that opportunity to help you. We just want to help in any way that we can and serve you if we can. Let us know while together we stand while we sing.